Hey kids, I just wanted to pop in before we get going. I wanted to let you know I recorded this episode before we all found out the news of George Floyd's murder. So I want to apologize for the perky tone of my podcast. Um, Hopefully that is not disrespectful. I also want to say that, you know, I've spent this the solo season uh, trying to really focus on women, wines made by women, uh, mostly women guests for the drunk dial. Uh, but I could do better on including more. As much as women are the minority in, in the wine industry, as winemakers, even more so for women of color. So I've got, I've got a couple wines I've ordered already planned. I've got more in the works. I'm going to do more research. I am going to try much harder to make sure that this podcast represents um, a more diverse uh, uh, group of people in wines. Yeah, that's really all I wanted to say right now. Black Lives Matter, and I want this podcast to reflect that I believe that. Okay, I hope you enjoy the episode, and let's all go out and keep trying to make the world a better place. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. I just drink wine. Welcome to The Wine Situation, the podcast that welcomes you in to drink wine with me, Ellen Clifford, your person with the palate. I messed that up. (laughs) I don't even know my own nickname that I gave myself anymore. I'm the palate. So, The Wine Situation, it's also a podcast that has had more iterations than a tricycle has had wheels. And if you know your... um, wheeled vehicles, you know a tricycle has three, and this is the fourth version of the wine of the wine situation. The one in which we are all alone drinking wine, or at least with a very small amount of people who are like the only people we see. Uh, we're all hanging out by ourselves drinking wine, and I am here to be your friend to raise a glass with so that you do not feel alone, because you are not alone. I mean, you may not have another person in the building or the room with you, but you always uh, have my heart. So, especially if you're listening to this. Um, Okay, so the wine situation. I don't know why I keep saying the name of the show over and over and over again now. Uh, I've told you what this is. Also, another thing this podcast is, is it's all about segments and tangents, tangents and segments. I have them for days. Yes, I do. Why am I the person to tell you about wine? Uh, Because I do a few few wine-related activities, such as, you know, host a wine podcast called The Wine Situation. Uh, I guess the game of this podcast uh, is that I'm just going to say the name of it over and over and over again. The Wine Situation. I'll stop. Okay. 
So segments and tangents, I, Ellen Clifford, am here to bring them to you about wine because I host this podcast, but uh, there's a reason I do it. It's because I studied a whole lot. I did the heavy lifting for you, and I do mean heavy lifting because A, I've picked up a lot of boxes of like uh, 12 boxes with 12 bottles of wine are pretty heavy. Um, not, and also, if you've ever felt the, uh, the Oxford Companion to wine, it's a big ass book. Actually, I have a lot of big-ass heavy wine books. So, you guys, I did the heavy lifting for you, both metaphorically and literally. You're welcome. I have almost achieved my diploma from the Wine and Spirit Educational Trust. If only they will let me take my last test, but they're canceled because everything's canceled, at least till fall. I am a certified sommelier with the Court of Master Sommeliers. And, um, yeah, I guess those are my credits. <laughs> Oh, I also write for Delectable. Okay, there you go. Hopefully you trust that I any information I bring you about wine is done with your best interest in heart. I aspire, when, when I do make mistakes, I aspire to fix them, and I always am looking to learn more. So learn with me, guys. Do we want to get into the agenda for the day? Because the sooner we can get through the agenda, the further we can get through... <laughs> now I'm like in a panic to get to the wine. The further we can get through the first couple of segments to get into the tasting wine segment, which is... Actually, I can't, I can't lie. I love making this podcast. I love every part of making this podcast from the research to enjoying the wine. So, um, but I am, I have a really gorgeous, gorgeous glass of wine in front of me and I cannot so, okay, the palette. what are we going to do today? We are going to have just a tiny bit of philosophy that I want to drop for you. Um, we're going to have another fun, fun game that actually is a game <laughs> of who, what, when, where, why, wine made by a woman. That's like six, seven, that's more W's. Definitely more W's than a tricycle has wheels. Wheels. Um, I'll come up with something better for that later. We are going to drink that wine. Um, oh, my bad. The woman made. I'm looking at. I my thing that I write out for myself was kind of roughly made today, and I our who, what, when, where, why wine isn't going to be woman made, but we will also be having a woman made wine. So I guess still more W's. They're just not in the same segment. Uh, we're going to have another edition of On the Food Side, like on the flip side. If it's a bad enough word joke that I feel like I have to explain it every time, I should probably change it, but eh. And uh, I might throw in a hot tip, another hot tip uh, throughout this for you of how to make your life happier. And uh, why don't I just give it to you now uh, <laughs> while I'm looking at it, because otherwise I'll forget. Uh, follow Sir Pat Stew on Instagram if you are a fan of Shakespeare's sonnets, Star Trek Next Generation, and Silver Foxes. He's been reading a sonnet nearly every day. And one time he, he had like uh, Jonathan Frakes uh, hanging out with him to read one too. They're, they're both, uh, they're so great. They're so great. Oh my god. Uh, get on, that's your hot tip. Should we just get on to the philosophy so we can hurry up already? Wow, record. it's only like 5 minutes and 45 seconds and I've already gotten through the intro. I'm getting speedier and better with every week. I will probably not ever not... Uh, I will probably not ever 
not be long-winded. Did that make sense? I'm always going to be long-winded. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to rein it in just a tiny bit. So here's your bit of philosophy for the day, is I'd rather be stressed than bored. And maybe I might have said that on this podcast before. A lot of you who are my friends have probably heard me say it. I thrive when I am stressed for the most part. I feel very alive when I have a lot, perhaps too much, going on. Uh, I'm saying that because I was coerced, coerced, I tell you, into uh, trying to write a spec script. That's, that means a script for a show that already exists for like one of these uh, writer programs that the networks are all um, holding right now. And uh, that's just uh, writing a entire script in, in about a week is a lot of work and very stressful, especially when you have three or four, like two other wine articles that will have your name on them due and some other wine writing that won't have your name on it due by the 31st as well. And then like, you know, making the podcast filming auditions, uh, getting in 10,000 steps a day. I mean, this girl has a full plate and I'm feeling really good about it. Um, yeah, I am enjoying being stressed, even though when I finish this podcast, I'm going to have to go glue myself to the computer again and write at least two more pages, even if I think they suck. Which so far I haven't felt that way. <laughs> I am so vain about my writing when I, I make myself giggle all the time. And I just want to bring that joy to more people. Okay. Yeah, um, you can probably tell how stressed I am. The way to gauge how stressed I am without asking me how stressed I am would to ask uh, to come into my home, which actually, God, that would stress me in a bad way, um, and just count how many post-its <laughs> you see. <laughs> my life devolves into like notes, especially when I was getting ready to write the script, it's just like, this post-it has the note to remind me of this, and this, and this has this. There's so many fucking post-its in my home. It's great. I love post-it notes. Post-it notes, please never change. Always be you. You're probably not good for the environment, and I should start using a whiteboard, board, but gosh, I love post-its. I, I recycle, though. Okay, wow, that was probably more than you bargained for. Shall we get into our first clue? Let's do it. Let's play, you guys, because life, you know, if you're not going to be stressed, you can at least be playing. Actually, I like to turn my play into stress. That's why I started studying wine. Your who is Thomas Jefferson, that Francophile wine-loving uh, founding father dude? Is that what he is? I, I mean, he's also like a problematic figure in some ways. Anyway, he was really into this particular wine that we are going to, I'm going to help you guys come up with, um, or you're going to figure out through these clues. And I have a quote from him about how he feels about this wine. And midway through this quote, um, he, he says the name of the wine. So when I get to that, I'm just going to say, wine, 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 which is an idea I got from watching a masterclass with Shonda Rhimes, the person who made Grey's Anatomy, who was like, yeah, when we're writing a script, whenever we get to somewhere where we need like the proper jargon, we just write like medical, medical, medical. I think that's what the word was. Maybe it was medicine, medicine, or doctor, doctor. But it was something like that to abbreviate. Anyway, that's what I'm going to do here. Here's what Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, had to say about this wine. <clears throat> For the present, I confine myself to the physical want of some very good wine, wine, wine. This being a very favorite wine and a habit having rendered the light and high-flavored wines of a necessary life with me. It was most superlatively good. 
you know, I'm thinking more about that quote, and I wonder if he was getting, he says he was going to confine himself to the physical want of that. Does that mean that he was trying to drink more wine to, like, not have sex? Or eat fun food? Maybe. I don't, I actually don't really want to know. Anyway, just know that this wine is, uh, not always, but, um, God, I actually, I'm, in its genre, I'm a big fan. Okay, I'm gonna stop saying things because it's gonna get more and more obtuse. I think I used that word correctly. Shall I tell you about this wine that I have in front of me here? It was, uh, recommended to me by my friend Sean, who's another sommelier. It was Sean Carmichael or Carmichael? I'm not sure how you say his last name. Anyway, he was like, you gotta try this this winemaker. And I looked it up and found out it was a woman winemaker, and I'm like, oh hey, I guess I need to try Tessier. Or it may be pronounced Tessier, because the name comes apparently. Okay, so Christy Tracy. Christy spelled K-R-I-S-T-I-E. Oh, Tacey, I'm sorry, not Tracy, T-A-C-E-Y, um, chose to use the French version of her last name, which is Tessier, to name, uh, to name her winery. Uh, let, me, let me just read you a, a little, little bit I have about her here, because she's a badass. <clears throat> she is the winemaker and founder of Tessier Winery uh, and a scientist turned winemaker, a former published research scientist who studied protein pathways, Oh, so she gets tannins, because tannins like proteins. Okay, um, she moved to the San Francisco Bay Area from her native Michigan to pursue a career in biotechnology, which included working on the Human Genome Project. Interesting. Uh, Christy eventually came to realize that winemaking was her true calling. You get it, girl. And after working as operations manager and assistant winemaker at an award-winning East Bay winery, she started Tessier in 2009. Um, let's see. She got a certificate in winemaking from the University of California at Davis. What else can I tell you about? Oh, the label is also sort of like an homage to her science background. It's a photograph through a microscope of yeasts uh, budding, and the tagline to the wine is science as art. Um, oh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what this bottle is I have. So this is a Tessier 2016 Pinot Noir Santa Cruz, or made it in the Santa Cruz Mountains, uh, particularly from the Severia Vineyard. I don't know much about the Severia Vineyard, but we're going to find out what kind of wine it makes. Also, before I forget, there's a nice little science quote from Louis Pasteur. He was very important to a lot of things. Like, he's the reason a lot of food's safe, and also we know a lot of things about wine. Anyway, there's a quote from him on the back that says, A bottle of wine contains more philosophy than all the books in the world. I mean, clearly, that's why I feel the need to start these podcasts with philosophy these days. It's because it goes hand in hand with wine. I'm glad I'm at least as smart as Pasteur. I'd settle for that. So she uses minimal interventionist winemaking techniques to showcase the unique characteristics of the grapes and vineyards. For Christie, sustainability is priority, not only with the vineyard's farming practices, but also having long-term relationships with her growers and customers. I appreciate that. I appreciate her already. Oh, um, the other reason she, I think she wanted to use the French version of her name, it says that she had a particular fondness for um, Burgundy, Loire, and Rhone Valley wines. 
I also like Burgundy and Loire and Rhone Valley. I'd probably take them before Bordeaux. Don't tell Bordeaux, though, because sometimes a Merlot is a lot of fun. Um, so that's sort of the, the basic facts about this winery. As I said, what we have here is a Pinot Noir. I'm looking, trying to find like more specific winemaking notes, and I'm afraid that if I see them, I'm, I'm also going to accidentally read the winemaker tasting notes, which I want to. I don't want to read those until I've formed uh, format for, formed my own opinions. So here's what's going to happen is I'm going to cheers y'all so I can take a sip out of my beautiful Zalto Burgundy glass. God, it is a glass as beautiful as wine, quite frankly. It's a piece of art and it makes every wine taste better. And I'm going to cheers you and take a sip of this. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, and yes. Oh. Oh, you don't say really? Oh wait, can you tell me. Oh, you 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 keep going. You guys, this is a really good wine. Good recommendation, Sean. I'm so glad you brought this wine into my life. Uh, before I give you tasting notes, why don't we have another clue? Because we we got to keep going. One must push on in these trying times. So your who was Thomas Jefferson, who's a fan of this wine, and your what is Pugnolo Gentile. I'm just going to leave it at that. Pugnolo Gentile. Should we go back to the wine? The wine is really fucking good. This is, um, so this is the game. Now I play the game that's not a game. What's in the glass where I, I walk you through. For those of you, I've had a lot of friends say, oh, I really want to learn about wine. So I'm going to listen to your podcast. And it occurred to me sometimes, should I start doing more segments where I give you sort of basic wine information that, that you need? Um, I, I feel like what's in the glass sort of tells you how to the best way to sort of take yourself through a tasting wine like a professional, so pay attention. But I might, okay, so I also want to start doing a segment called Basic Bits, because <laughs> I'm a basic bitch. Um, so yeah, look for that coming in the future. I already had too many things planned for today to add it in. So anyway, this wine, this Pinot Noir from 2016 from Santa Cruz, which is uh, south of San Francisco and a cooler climate. Anyway, uh, first we look at it. It has that, uh, I, I'm still going to put it at red, but going into a tiny bit of a garnet rim. Uh, it's very translucent. You can, you can see right through that stuff. You, you can see your fingers below the wine when you, in your glass. When you swirl it, you see those are some fairly thick tears. So it looks rather like... You know, you can see through it, you think thin, but uh, it might not be thin in body. Let's smell it. That's the next step in a professional tasting person's process. Mine, anyway. So we take a whiff. Hmm. Golly, Josh. Golly, gosh. I'm, I'm going to put it at, I think it still needs to open up a little, but I think it's like a medium to medium plus uh, intensity. You smell, I mean, it smells like textbook. California, but cooler climate California. <laughs> like I'd think it was the Santa Rita Hills over a um, like a Russian River Valley where I feel like it gets riper. Okay, that's getting like more inside baseball. Maybe I'll do an episode just all everything Pinot Noir. So you smell cherries. You smell mm, just like uh, a little bit. I think 
you, you smell a little bit of um like those baking spices like I think this might have seen a tiny bit of wood um at least I might know more on the palette there's a little bit of greenery and earth beneath it but not much like mostly you're just getting this like really like imagine if someone made ice cream out of um out of really ripe red and black cherries I think that's what's what I smell in this wine and there's just something more like a hint of flor florality maybe I mean a wine person would probably just be like it's lilacs or it's violets um but yeah there's also okay I just need to taste it let's taste it oh and it smells uh, fairly fairly youthful which is to say fruit forward and everything tastes um doesn't it, it doesn't smell like things have dried out <laughs> goodness Mm. Oh, you guys, I skipped a step. I was going to listen to my wine and see what happened. N nothing. Okay. I, I was curious if that would change uh, my tasting, but you guys, you don't need to listen to your wine. Just listen to me talk about it. Okay. On the palate, the acid is... We start with, like, structure, or at least I do. Some people start with what they taste. I start with structure. Mm. This wine's alive, guys. Um, The acid is... I think it's just medium. I mean, I have no acid receptors, so it's trouble for me to say that, but let me let me go again. I honestly think it might just be medium. And I want to think the alcohol is not that high, which um, may be because it's a cooler climate for California Pinot. Um, they get those, those breezes from, from the seas the seas breeze um i'm gonna guess that the alcohol oh well no i'm getting a little bit i'm feeling it i'm feeling a bit of a burn in my nose and also those tears were mighty thick so this might be this is one of those stealth wines it looks light it smells taste friendly and then it's just like hi i'm here and now i'm in you and you love it wow that got weird fast i'm so i'm so sorry guys i don't know what's going on um i'm gonna take another taste um and tell you about alcohol and other structure calls that we make with wine i don't know i'm gonna call the alcohol at least 14 i it, i'm gonna call it at least 14 i don't know i've been like way off recently let's find out if i was right um, 13.2. Okay, so I think I was just doubting myself too much that it was like, I, I was trying to call higher than I thought it was because I was like, surely it has me fooled. And now I'm just fooling myself. That's fucked up, Cliffy. Don't do it to yourself. The body still, actually, though, it feels very lithe. And also you can tell this was probably made with minimal intervention. You can tell this wine is just like a little alive. Like you feel this little bit of a sparkle on your tongue. I'm not sure what that is or and like if you're taking a test I don't think you describe it but it feels like a wine that has like a liveliness to it not not like the car the carbonation of um like sparkling wine but mm. god that's fucking good um so like the body I'm putting up medium uh the tannins are medium minus like they are 
What, what else can I say about the tannins? They're integrated as fuck, meaning they don't jump out at you. Uh, actually, I put them at medium plus. Like they're they're a little grabby, but they're so ripe and like just like seamlessly woven into the body of the wine with that like freshness and sparkle it has and the higher acid. I think I'm changing my acid call to medium plus for sure. Um, they work really well. Tannins, guys, tannins are tricky. Uh, this is also like it is a four year old wine, so they've probably if they were higher had time. Um, the, in W sets, we'd be like the flavor intensity. I'd put this at medium plus. Um, okay. So the flavors, it's so, it's just like, it's so much cherry, but it's like every level of cherry <laughs> and yeah, like imagine non-sweet cherry ice cream or, or non-sweet cherry jam. It's just like the essence of cherry, but like then, yeah, you get a little bit of like all spice on this like that kind of earthy spicy thing and then mm. yeah i think the saw just a tiny a touch of oak because i think i get a little vanilla too it doesn't feel super oak but i think there was some oak or at least old oak french oak because that smells different than american oak you guys <laughs> you guys like i have to prove it um american oak to me, I mostly smell like it smells like so much coconut. <laughs> also, dill's another classic marker of that. French oak, you get more like baking spice and vanilla, um, truly. And then sometimes I, some, there's some wines I just, that have been like really oaked and I just smell it. I'm like, that just fucking smells like oak. And then you get some wines and you're like, that fucking smells like um, fake oak, <laughs> which is the worst kind of oak. If you're going to go oak, go real, go big, go big oak. Um, I'm in such a mood tonight. I think it's because I have so much work that I'm just like a little giddy. It's fantastic. This is the best I've felt since quarantine uh, started. So I guess that's good. It may all fall down tomorrow, or not tomorrow, next week when I turn in all these writing projects. But, but then I'll have the next month's uh, assignments due and my personal pilot. Uh, okay, I guess I'll always have work. And right now, it's work that's stressing me in a good way. Hey, that was another tangent. I don't know that I've been taking as many. I've I've been I've been tangenting. I know. Um, so okay. As I said, all the cherries, the baking spice. I feel like this is one of those wines that makes me mad because it's so good and so just like perfectly well made and crafted and balanced that. I find myself without proper tasting note words to give it, um, which is kind of why I re <laughs> my refusal to describe wines totally properly is probably part of the reason I ever got a job writing about wine in the first place. So let me think how I would describe this um, if I were writing one of my reviews for Delectable about it. This wine, <laughs> oh, this wine, this wine is, this wine is, an enigma. No, it's not an enigma. Yeah. Hold on. Give me a second. I, I got to think here. I'm going to think and I'm going to take a sip. Mm. So this wine is like in the PhD program. Um, it's really uh, brilliant, but it's working really hard. So it kind of like boils things down to its essence. Like it they um this this wine is a person they're they're studying something complex 
And so everything else in life, they've boiled down to the basics that they need. Um, it's very, um, actually, maybe I'm going to think about this wine more like architecture. Like it's modern architecture, luxuriously appointed, but tastefully. Does that make sense? <laughs> I don't know if it does, but that is how I'm thinking of it. I often think of wines as like fabrics or outfits sometimes too. Um, this wine is a bodycon dress, but it's a little longer and a little more like it's somehow elegant and tasteful and it's, um, it's diamonds. <laughs> Maybe it, mm, not quite there. We're not quite diamonds. We're at least Swarovski though. So I love those crystals. Um, it's really a beautiful wine. It's, yeah, it defies a lot of like proper words, which is part of the beauty of wine. And my God, if you could see the swirl I got going on in this glass, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I should probably taste it in regular wine glasses because I always say that if it's a good wine, Zalto wine glasses make everything taste like better or more, make them taste like more than they are. Um, I put it in my burgundy glass and, well, I drink a lot of things out of burgundy glasses, but Pinot Noir is the red grape in burgundy, so I was like, uh, I should, um, I should use my burgundy glass, the good one. I also have Zweisel burgundy glasses, which are a little different and a little more sturdy, so I kind of, I use those for almost everything, but I saved the Zalto burgundy for, like, important things, like this wine. I... I'd been talking last week about trying to experience things um, like throughout the palette, where in my palette different things hit. We like the mid palette, the back palette. So let me just think about that for a second for you. I'm like guzzling this wine because it's so fucking good. <laughs> mm. So I'm going to say that that thing that I feel that, that makes me feel like the wine is alive hits when the wine is three quarters of the way to my throat. That's all I can say about that. And the finish on this is long. It's long and it um, it evolves a little. How much did I pay for this fucking wine? It's good. Let me see. Um, I paid $43 for it. It better be good. Shit. And that was on sale. <laughs> um, but, you know, well played. I would, um, you know, so my favorite, uh, probably California Pinot Noir makers. Okay, I probably have a lot of favorite. Uh, California Pinot Noir makers, that's not fair. One of them is Dragonette, and they make things in like Santa Rita Hills, and I will pay a lot of money for their Pinot Noirs too. Oh my, okay, I want to read the winemaker notes on what this tastes like. They're probably like completely different than mine. Um, and then I want to read the critic notes for them. They'll, they'll be quick, we'll get through this. Okay, aromas of dried strawberry and cherry, yes, cherry, Assisted by rose petals. Oh, maybe the floral I got was rose, not violet. Sandalwood. You guys, I never, how the fuck would I, I don't even know what sandalwood smells like, but maybe that's, maybe that's the allspice factor. Oh, and roasting coffee beans. Okay, I do not smell roasting coffee beans on this. And let me tell you, I smell a lot of coffee. On the palette, pomegranate disappears into rhubarb. Again, things I need to, I have this list going. I'm like, hold on, let me, uh, like I have this list of things I need to taste going on that I see in tasting notes. And, um, you know, I'm just like right now writing down pomegranate and rhubarb and sandalwood. Shit. 
I am not as evolved as I thought I was. <clears throat> okay. I mean, I have tasted a lot of pomegranate, but not recently. Okay. They, okay. <laughs> On the palate, pomegranate disappears into rhubarb earthiness and cafe au lait. There she goes with those um coffee notes. I do not get coffee on this, but maybe in youth there was. I don't know. Bright acidity is in the cards for this Pinot Noir, which will work its magic on you for years. Fuck yeah. Well, except for this bottle is going to be gone like faster than years. Also, I mean, that's proper because I opened it, but now I wish I had two to age. Okay. From the wine enthusiast, they said, tightly wound aromas of red currant, rose petals. Okay, everyone's getting rose, so clearly I need to smell roses. I need to stop and smell the roses much more often. And carnations, what? Do carnations ever smell like anything? I feel like those are like, never mind. Okay, show on the nose of this single vineyard expression. The palate is full of hibiscus. Oh, fuck. That's another thing. I was reminded two weeks ago by uh, Kristen, my drunk dial, that I needed to... Oh, I forgot to add that in the agenda. At the very end of this, we have an amazing drunk dial. <laughs> Except it was drunk on nerves because it was it was uh, not. I had not had anything to drink, but I was nervous. Um, shit, I forgot to tell you about that in the agenda because I was in such a hurry to get to this fucking wine. And can you blame me? Anyway, okay. The palate is full of hibiscus and other red flower flavors. With a touch of cinnamon spice and cedar, all wrapped in a soft mouthfeel. And the ratings from Wine and Spirits say, Prudy Fox, with two X's, farms this vineyard in Corlitos. The vines planted in 2001 at an elevation of 600 feet. Christy Tacey, who came to wine from a career in biotech, makes this wine without added yeast, keeping 20% of the fruit in whole clusters. Oh, that's probably the little bit of, like, greenness I, I experience in this. Reduction tightens around its red cherry flavors, needing a day, a day of air to clarify the wine's freshness and integrate stem spice into cool... This... Okay, I hate that review. That's one of those reviews that doesn't even quite make sense. You're like, what, what are you saying, though? What... How, you're not actually telling me much of anything about this wine, is how I feel about that review. Maybe they think they are. I mean, I guess they are, but um, needing a day of air to clarify to clarify the wine's freshness. What do you mean? Did it not smell fresh up front? To clarify the wine's freshness and integrate the stem spice. The stem spice. Okay, stems add a little bit of tannin, and to me, like, a little bit of green, like, greenery nature, but stem spice? Into a cool, generous mouthful of ripe fruit. I mean, I agree that this wine is super cool, and also I think the cool um, is coming from, um, or for me, I was saying it kind of made me think of, like, ice cream somehow. It had a demeanor. So it has a cool demeanor. This, you guys, this wine's cool. I've talked way too long about this wine. Um, just know that it's super good. And if you get a chance to drink Tessier, Tessier, do it. Support those women winemakers. And also just like, you know, it's not my favorite red grape. That's probably, like of the, the big grapes, probably Grenache. Um, but Pinot Noir can make magic. It's true. It's very true. Um... Mm. Fuck yeah, cherry cola. Cherry vanilla coke. That's a little of what this tastes like in the best possible way. Okay, uh, we need to move on. 
that was enough of that. Let's go back to who, what, when, where, why, wine, and know that like, while I said that I was doing a high kick here, um, <laughs> cause I get excited for games that are actually games. So our who was Thomas Jefferson, he liked this wine. Our what was Pugnolo Gentile. Our when is um, after two years. That's like the minimum, that's the soonest that this um, wine can be sold is after two years from, from, I think, from harvest, probably from like November 1st after harvest. Uh, and at least one of those years has to be in wood, but there's some other options. Um, if it's only one year in wood, then the second year has to be in bottle. There's also like an 18 month in wood, but then the six months can be in some other container. I don't know. Um, way to make it complicated again. I was about to say the name of the country where this is from. You probably figured it out from the last clue. Okay. So my next segment on the food side, oh guys, I have a fun one for you these days. I've been having fun following this food story and I kind of want to play along a little bit. So my the food side on the food side thing has to do with the trend I've seen on Instagram a lot recently, which is pancake cereal. What you may ask is that if you have not seen it, it is this trend of like people making pancakes like tiny little pancakes cakes uh, smaller than silver dollar, even just like tiny, tiny, tiny pot, uh, pancakes, lots of them, putting them in a bowl like they're fucking cereal and then pouring syrup on it. Not as much syrup as you would milk um, and calling it pancake cereal, which is, I, I don't know. I was hoping they were going to pour milk on it. And then I saw the syrup and I was like hoping they're going to pour as much uh, syrup. And it, anyway, I've seen this Everyone's trying it out. I mean, it's it's a, it's a novel idea. It's Corona times. We got to enter, uh, entertain ourselves somehow. So then I saw Food Beast make pancake fries, <laughs> and they like, oh, what did they put on it? Not butter, not ketchup. They put like some sort of. I think they should, like shaved banana on it and. What else did they put on? I don't remember, but it was funny because he's like, eat as many as you like. Um, yeah, he just like made a pancake in the shape of fries. And the thing is, it's really interesting. I love, um, I love <laughs> food like mashups and this is, and there are two different ways I think that you can mash up food things. Um, okay. Let, let me just, so this is, this is a food category, um, applied to shape as opposed to a shape applied to various different types of food. So what I'm saying is all these things are straight up pancakes and they're treating them like they would pancakes more or less in terms of toppings. They, it will taste like a pancake, but it's gonna be a different shape. There are also the shapes applied to food categories. Oh, um, like another common um, food category applied to shape, I would say is pizza. You see, it'll be like pizza notches, pizza, like different, do you understand what I'm saying? I hope so. Because then there's like shape applied to various foods, which I'm going to get into one in particular next week. So that's a teaser. Um, to wit, I have a cookbook um, called Will It Waffle in which they, you know, they make pizzas and waffles. They make, they make all sorts of different types of food that taste and, and like that food, but in the shape of a waffle. But this whole pancake cereal thing is food category applied to shape. So I started trying to contemplate different things that if I were going to do this to experiment, I was like, is this going to be a trend? Are we going to see every shape of like pancake 
thing out there. So I was like, what about a pancake tortilla? And then I was like, um, that's a fucking crepe, Ellen. <laughs> and I was like, could you make pancake rice? Could you make pancake sushi from pancake rice? You could make like lots of little, like just like little droplets of rice. And then what would you wrap them in? Um, fruit leather or something like, okay. Things you can put on pancakes. Let me think. There's syrup, butter, fruit compotes, powdered sugar, whipped cream. I don't know that uh, pancake sushi would work out, but I would love if someone did that. You know why? Because I'm fucking sick of cauliflower rice things everywhere. Cauliflower should not be made into rice, mainly because it makes it harder for me to... I just want to eat regular cauliflower, and I don't even really like rice. But I mean, like, it, and the reason people are doing it, I guess, is to save carbs and calories. So I just like this idea of someone be like, fuck that shit. I'm not having cauliflower rice. I'm not even having rice. I'm having pancake rice and I'm dipping it. I'm dipping that shit into maple syrup. But what would you wrap it in? I'm like imagining wrapping it in like fruit leather, maybe. Or maybe like some sort of softened, really thinly sliced fruit. I don't know, guys. I should not, <laughs> I shouldn't be thinking about these things. Um, I was trying to think of other things you could do. You could make a pancake-shaped pretzel or bagel. Um, what about an omelet, like an extra thick pan? I mean, I guess those are Dutch babies, which is a type of pan pancake that's kind of like really fluffy and then you put it in the oven at some point. But I feel like with the right feel uh, fillings, you could at least call it a pancake omelet. Um, golly, what else could you make a pancake cake? Oh, I think that exists already is the thing. Could you make a pancake burrito? Absolutely. A pancake taco? I mean, I feel like that's just like too close to the way people already eat pancakes, um, some of these things. But uh, yeah, I was trying to think of original shapes for pancakes. Pancake pecoras? Is that a thing? I feel like that's like a, a triangle-shaped thing. I don't know. Anyway, the whole pancake cereal thing doesn't look like a way that I want to eat pancakes. Um, I like, ha uh, yeah, but the idea of just making all these iterations and seeing how they turn out and how people would play with them really kind of amuses me and I don't know if it annoys me or excites me or both. <laughs> So that's that. That was uh, today's on the food side. It's like on the flip side. Let's get back to the game, this game. The who, what, when, where, why. Wine. I kicked really high on the wine because, yeah, I'm in quite a mood tonight. <clears throat> you guys, I just need to finish this thing I'm writing. I really do. <sighs> okay. Your who was Thomas Jefferson. He liked this wine. Your what is Pugnolo Gentile. I hope that's not offensive for me to say it like that. I don't know. Maybe I was Italian in a past life. No, absolutely not with that accent. Um, your win is after two years. That's like minimum aging. Your where is Siena, which is a province of Tuscany. So yeah, we know we're in Italy. Before I give you the why, I'm just going to be like, hey guys. If you feel it, if you want to, like, there's, you have so much time right now. And it's really fun if you leave me, like, a five-star rating and maybe say something nice on Apple Podcasts. I don't know why I adopted that personality right now. It's very whiny and probably annoying. Um, but that would be super cool. I would appreciate that. 
Uh, you don't have to. I'm st I'm still gonna like you for listening. Uh, but you know, it would be helpful because then maybe even more people listen, and then maybe I could like, you know, continue to make this podcast. <laughs> Uh, oh my god, we're at like 42 minutes. I'm going on way, uh, way too long. So with that, I will give you the why to the who, what, when, where, why. High kick, wine. Your why <clears throat> is you like Chianti Classico, but you just want to try something new. Okay, do you have it? Do you know it? Should I sing the Jeopardy music to stress you out? Probably not. That would be... Not a good plan. Not a good plan at all. Huh. So I picked this week's uh, particular wine because it's one that will fool so many people. And it's one of those things that makes me mad at how they name things in Italy. Not mad, just like in Italy, sometimes things are named for grape variety. Sometimes they're named for the region. Sometimes they're named for both. Sometimes they're, in this case, this one uses the name of a grape in this um but it's like also like the city the region um so the, what we're talking about is vino nobile di montepulciano and here's the thing is montepulciano is a place and a grape uh there's montepulciano d'abruzzo is probably the most well-known montepulciano that's made of the montepulciano grape but vino nobile de montepulciano is made from the prugnolo gentile clone it's a clone of sangiovese which is the grape that you uh you taste in uh chianti and brunello di montalcino although brunello uses the brunello clone not the prugnolo gentile clone um, so it's one of those wines that's just like, it's fun to know, because you're like, did you know that Vino Nobile de Montepulciano is, um, it's not Montepulciano, and I, I, I actually really appreciate them. I feel like I've had ones that I like even better than Brunello, like it's high quality, quality Sangiovese that, um, I mean, the aging requirements are a lot less. Uh, not uh, well yeah i guess two years is a lot less than five years for release but anyway um if you enjoy sangiovese which like sangiovese is you tend to get like again you get like pinot noir you get a lot of cherry on it but you get a lot higher tannins you get a little more alcohol probably similar acid depending where the pinot noir came from i don't know why I'm, i guess because i'm drinking pinot noir that's why i'm comparing it but you're also going to get like get a very like it tastes like Italian food. You get like a very herbal thing. Um, uh, tomato, like they say tomato leaf, which I'm like, I remember being in my mom's garden. I'm like, I remember what tomato leaves um, smelled like, I think. Maybe. I'm probably just making it up in my head. But I mean, I, I've smelled, I've been around tomatoes <laughs> since I'm an adult. So um, I don't know why I'm like having to harken back to then. Anyway, so Yeah. It's a fun fact, you know, and if you see Vino Nobile di Montepulciano on the menu, you will know that that is made from the Sangiovese grape, and it's grown in Tuscany, um, in a region with, like, uh, it, it, apparently some, some sandy soils. I, I saw that it has, like, some volcanic and some uh, sandstone, so fun fact. That was, um, that was quite a journey. I really feel good about this one, because... Yeah, 
I, I feel good about making Vino Nobile my, my wine of the week. Not this was, I don't know why I called it that. Who what wouldn't wear why wine? So I have now consumed a whole lot of this Pinot Noir. It is delicious. Your uh, your your quote unquote junk dial was drunk on nerves because it was earlier in the day, but I was nervous because this person, she is the spirits editor of Wine Enthusiast. She's written like a lot of cocktail books. And guys, I have a goth cocktail book I'm gonna write so badly if someone will just take my book proposal and give me money to start writing it uh, so I can have money to buy all the booze that I would need to make a goth cocktail book. Uh, sorry, this is about the drunk dial, not me. But it's always about me. Um, she's written uh, Nightcap, that's a really good one, Road Soda, Shake, Stir, Sip, and her latest work um, is Cocktails with a Twist, which is like classic cocktails with a twist. This woman's super cool. She's in New York. We've talked on Twitter before and stuff. And she's, yeah, she's, she's good people, and I want to drink with her soon. Please welcome to the show, Kara Newman. Carol, welcome to the show. Hi, Ellen. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm happy, good. Happy Memorial Day, although people listening to this is like a week later, but... <laughs> <laughs> happy Memorial Day in, in lockdown. Yeah. Um, well, if you're ready, then we will get into our final five questions. Okay. All right. Number one is very easy. Just uh, what you drinking these days? What have you been into? Well, right now I'm kind of obsessed with sherry vermouth. So, Whoa. yeah, yeah. I mean, vermouth made with a sherry base. I've been drinking um, Lustau and Gonzalez Bias, and um, I'm, it's just one of those things I'm just enjoying drinking straight up and mixed into martinis. I mean, killer martinis, really, Ooh. really good stuff. I didn't even know they made sherry-based vermouth, so that's something I need to try. <laughs> I think you'd really like it. It's kind of a new category. I haven't seen a whole lot of it until quite recently, but I would love to see more of it. I'm really just truly loving it. Nice. Um, cool. Okay. Question number two is what is the best or, or most interesting pairing you can think of that you've ever had? Um, it can be any kind of drink, any kind of food, or even we've had people be like, cigars and burgundy. I was like, that is a very weird pairing, but I'm glad it worked. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. Um, I mean, I'm kind of old school when it comes to pairings. I, I do like the whole idea that what grows together goes together. Mm. And um, I honestly, right now, like I said, I'm in the middle of lockdown, and I am craving my favorite Italian restaurant literally it's right across the street it's not a a famous place or a fancy place but it's uh my my favorite treat that i'm craving right now is um any kind of italian appetizer like arancini with italian wine um and my, really my favorite treat is something like um valpolicella Ooh, love valpolicella so good so velvety you can just kind of sink into it yeah <laughs> and, yeah, all kinds of Italian, Italian fried treats like Italian arancini and rice Italian balpolicella. Right? Yeah, yeah, Italian rice balls, mm. especially with some kind of marinara to dip it in. Oh, yum! You know, not not fancy, but oh, that's really what I want more than anything else. You know, to go to go out into the outside world, have someone else prepare for me some wonderful decadent fried treat and pair it with. You know, something and a, a, a slightly decadent Italian wine. That's what I would yes. love right at this moment. 
Hopefully sooner rather than later. <laughs> oh, yes, please. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, the next question is in homage to, to cocktails being your specialty. And you can take this either literally or metaphorically. But the next question is up or on the rocks? Oh, interesting. Up. Definitely up. Correct answer. Ding, ding, ding. Sorry. <laughs> I, I tend to like cocktails that way myself. <laughs> I've been really wanting Nick and Nora glasses. I, I really have this theory that they make all cocktails taste better. I, I need to have some in my own home. I've been missing bars and I've been missing Nick and Nora glasses in particular. I want oh. a perfectly chilled martini and a Nick and Nora glass. That feels like the ultimate decadence right now. That does sound good. I don't have any of those glasses uh, myself and whenever I see them out I'm like I wish I had these at home. Um, gold. <laughs> I know. I I really, truly, deep down believe that they make cocktails taste better. I need to have some I mean, empirical evidence, though. Well, I mean, I truly believe, like, I use these um, Zalto wine glasses that cost more than most of my wines, but they make every <laughs> wine taste, taste, like, twice as good. I kid you not. Like, I really think they make a difference. So, yeah. I That's believe you. There, there's some glass psychology at play there. Possibly. <laughs> um, okay, question number four is um, it, you've, I love your cocktail books. I, Road Soda is one of my favorites just because it's so much, uh, your books are so much fun. Um, oh, I'm curious, you. do you have anything, do you have anything in the works or is there something you want to write some someday that you have in mind? I'm actually in between books right now. I mean, my latest book is Cocktails with a Twist, and I don't have another cocktail book coming out right now, which is... Well, you only release like five in three years or something, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I've I've been unusually prolific. I've I've been lucky that way. It's pretty amazing. I mean, yeah, (laughs) it's like, books take a really long time to write, and your books are really good, and they came out so fast. (laughs) Oh, thank um, you. It doesn't feel that way to me. I mean, they they honestly are about two years from start to finish. Yeah. So it's a lot of um, a lot of of what my my dad refers to as hurry up and wait, where you do the bulk of it really really fast up front, and then you kind of wait for it to be edited, published, printed. You know, it, they they do yeah. it in, in China and ship it over on a slow boat, and it takes <laughs> a whole two years from start to finish. So I'm glad yeah. it feels fast to you. It doesn't feel that way to me. <laughs> Got it. Um, cool. Okay, well, um, question number five is, is the classic question that we've been uh, asking people since the, the dawn of the show, which is just, uh, what is bringing you joy these days? Ooh, other than the sherry vermouth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, right now what's just bringing me joy is, the ritual of happy hour in general. Ah. Right now oh. I'm very much um I'm in New York and right now I'm very much uh deep in lockdown quarantine mode and I'm really cherishing that ritual, you know, transitioning from the work day when every work day seems to bleed into one another yeah. to the end of the day. And just having something to really help me transition from work to to leisure. I never knew I could derive so much joy from 
preparing and, and drinking a you know a solitary cocktail. Ah, uh, that's beautiful. I I've not never been good at the happy hour, but uh, like that's probably because I'm one of those lame writers who waits till night to write. So I'm like. Oh, um, anyway, yeah, that is very nice. Do you do the Zoom happy hours at all, or I've done some of them. I, I'm 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 not really a fan. I can't <laughs> wait till we're all uncaged and we can go back to yeah. you know having drinks with the companionship of other people in real life. You know, when it's yeah. safe to do so, of course. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Um, oh, my pleasure. Do you want to tell people, of course, they can read your articles in Wine Enthusiast and um, find all your all your cocktail books on, well, I guess, probably wherever you buy books. Um, but is right there now, I'm, I'm telling like people, right, I'm telling people, go to bookshop.org. Support your local independent booksellers, if at all possible. Cool. Um, and do you want to tell people where to find you and stuff? Um Sure. Um, I'm I'm pretty easy to track down. Um, online, my website is karanewman.com. On Twitter, I'm at Kara Newman. Uh, my newest book is Cocktails with a Twist, and I'd love for people to purchase it through bookshop.org if they're so inclined. Wonderful. Well, um, this was great. It was good to actually talk to you and Someday we'll Likewise. move about the country and uh, and have oh, cocktails yes, together. <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, please. I gotta go find that vermouth you're talking about. Sherry vermouth. I, I'm in love. Do it. Do it. Do it. I will. I will. <laughs> cool. We'll have a great rest of your evening. And uh, yeah, um, this was a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you, mm-hmm. Helen. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Glass. I just drink. This has been a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.